Welcome to ePod, a podcast from the UW-Madison's College of Engineering's Office of Interdisciplinary Professional Programs. These podcasts are focused on big ideas in engineering and the people behind them. My name is Justin Kyle Bush, and I'm your host. On today's episode, Rebecca Jamison talks with Ernest Nicholas, the Senior Vice President and Chief Supply Chain Officer for Rockwell Automation. Ernest speaks about how his many connections across UW-Madison contributed to his professional success, the value of lifelong learning, and the urgent need for engineering and the supply chain to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion. Take it away, Rebecca. Yeah, my first question for you is, um, what was your path into manufacturing systems engineering and what made you choose that field? So Rebecca, I started off as an industrial engineering major. Uh, I think you know I went to undergrad at a school called Kettering University, which was one GMI, and it was a co-op school, you know, and I and I had a couple co-ops that were industrial engineering, and, and I wanted to do something that was a little bit more technical, but still leaned into what I'd say are the core of the fundamentals of IE. And that's where manufacturing system engineering first became something that I considered so that I could have still the same core of IE, but have a little bit more of a technical background uh, with some some hands-on experience. So I changed my major uh, while at Kettering University to MSE, uh, and and I pursued several uh, internship co-ops with General Motors uh, as an MSE uh, undergrad. Uh, Upon graduation, you know, I stayed at General Motors uh, for a couple years, uh, but General Motors used to have a fellowship program. And at the time, uh, with the fellowship, they would uh, pay uh, pay for your tuition and offer you half salary, and then you would come back into the organization kind of time for time. I was awarded that, and, and I really thought about if I wanted to go into what was at the time uh, computer engineering, computer science, I wanted to branch off into something different. Uh, but but I, I had the opportunity to get to, to meet and honestly learn more about uh, Dr. Suri and the MSc program. And, and quite honestly, what interested me uh, was really the QRM and quick response manufacturing and his thought and view on getting away from thinking of everything as cost, 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 and looking at it specifically as related to time. Well, I never thought it was a panacea. I thought it was a different way of thinking. And I decided at that point, uh, even after considering multiple schools, uh, to pursue grad, graduate school at University of Wisconsin-Madison, primarily because of Dr. Suri and his program. Wonderful. Yeah. And so I'm going to actually jump around a little bit in the question, since I feel like you're already heading in this direction. Let's just stay in this direction. Um, So as I said, you have so many connections across the UW, um, which makes you really special and unique. You were a student, as you mentioned, in the MSE program and in the MBA programs. And you did this really quite groundbreaking project at QRM, the Center for Quick Response Manufacturing, while you were in school. And now you're part of the UWEBC, um, the UWE Business Consortium, for those that don't know. So how would you say that your UW connections affected your career or contributed to your professional success? You know, it's it's funny you say that because um, I did my project, as you talk about, with quick response manufacturing. Uh, It was on at the time Polka, and I did it with Rockwell Automation. 
So it, there's always some irony here, right? I mentioned to you that I was working for General Motors. I had a fellowship. I had to go back to GM time for time. And I, I think I stayed at GM after graduation another four and a half years or so. Uh, but then I moved to Rock Automation. So uh, at, at the time uh, when I made the choice to come to Rockwell, I got a call from a friend, uh, and I say a friend, but also a, a, an alumni of the MSE program and the School of Business. And he called me and said, you know, Rockwell's doing the type of things we studied at UW. Why don't you come join me? Uh, I was hesitant at first, but again, I knew Rockwell, had an understanding of Rockwell from my time as a student, my time working on this project. So I was interested. Uh, and, and ultimately, I left GM and I joined Rockwell. And so here I am 15 years later, still at Rockwell, now leading the supply chain for the organization. So I, I will definitely tell you it influenced it significantly because I was considering multiple situ multiple roles as I was thinking about leaving GM. Uh, and, and ultimately, my time in Rockwell through working in the QRM project or working on the QRM project is what really made the difference and influenced me to come join. That's wonderful. So it sounds like there really was this door that opened for you to some extent because of that class that you were able to take with Professor Suri. And I guess just as a follow-up question to that, um, this class that you took with Professor Suri, how did it impact your thinking about manufacturing systems and strategy? And if so, in what way? You know, everything... Everything that I had learned up to that point, I think, was really revolving around me. And I, and I think what I took away from a lot of Dr. Suri, uh, beyond just the QRM, the QRM class, is just that, that toolbox mindset, you know, thinking about how you can solve problems in different ways. And it's very applicable to how I think about solving problems today, right? The, the, the way of lean manufacturing is, is still strong, right? You can also say quick response manufacturing is still strong. But when I think about it from a supply chain perspective, well, given the different challenges, the macroeconomic challenges, you layer on top of that the pandemic, you've got to think of supply chain significantly differently than you did in the past. So again, I think it's that toolbox mindset of fit the right tool for the right situation um, is something that I honestly feel I've held on to for years and years. And you apply a little bit here, a little bit there in order to problem solve and try to drive the best solution for your organization. So as we all know, and I think has been in, in the headlines for quite some time now, um, supply chains are really having some issues because of the pandemic. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenges for industry right now? As it relates to supply chains, you know, it, there are so many challenges. That's hard to pinpoint because it's going to vary by industry. I mean, if, if you think of just the basic plan, source, make, deliver of a supply chain, I, I think what stands out for me is in each one of the areas, there's a challenge. And I think anybody that's done this work for a while has experienced all of the challenges that exist today. We've never experienced the multitude of these challenges concurrently or simultaneously. Um, and, and I think that's that's what, uh, what what's the big challenge is how do I manage or work through all of these different ongoing concerns? You know, if, if I sit from a planning perspective, we're all having to adjust lead times and think about how we manage that and the consequences of that. We're having to think about substitutions. We have to 
We have to think about redesign. If I think from a sourcing perspective, I've got so much inflation. I've got product that's not available. I've got volatility that's being introduced. If I sit manufacturing-wise, the labor shortages are significant, trying to find people. And if you do find people, well, the inflation is real, right? Labor and wages have gone up, right? People are paying premiums in order to get people in through sign-on bonuses, referral bonuses. And transportation, the availability of transportation is significant. Um, I should say the lack of availability that, or um, lack of availability from a transportation perspective. And that kind of ties into whether you're, you're looking at ocean, you're looking at rail, you're looking at air freight, you're looking at, at truckload. It's all a challenge at this point. So trying to work through and manage through all of those different elements, uh, it's creating chaos in the supply chain. So I, I think there's just a multitude of challenges that people that do this work are faced with that we're having to work through and we'll be working through for uh, for still quite some time. Yeah, given the level of chaos and the amount of challenges that you're naming, this might be hard to speak to, but where do you see supply chain optimization going? And how would you advise individuals who work in this area? You know, it's, it's a great question. It, it is a... Supply chain optimization will, will continue to be very, very necessary. I think the levers that are pulled in solving, I'd say different optimization scenarios will have to be different. You know, where we did use to optimize inventory per se um, to, to honestly get the mathematic equation done, uh, considering only a few variables, given the factors that have been introduced in some cases reintroduced through like the pandemic, we're gonna think about buffering inventory a little bit differently. So the optimization um, may not be as much of an optimization for working capital reduction, but for right-sizing working capital, right-sizing inventory levels, right-sizing the decisions that you have to make uh, within the supply chain. But I definitely think and feel there's more than a little bit of room. You know, I have committed within my own organization to supply chain network design. And that truly is honestly thinking about not only how much, but where do you put it? How do you position? How do you position, whether it's inventory or locations, factory locations? How do you design ultimately your, your footprint um, to support a given, a given product? That in and of itself to me is, is um, the direct consequence of all the situations that we're dealing with today. Um, yeah, so somewhat related to that, and I think you were already starting to go in this direction, do you foresee the current supply chain challenges being short or long-term, and is there a way that companies can better prepare for this uncertain logistics environment without building warehouses full of inventory? Yeah, so, so the first part of your question relative to how long, uh, I again, I think some of that's based on your industry. Uh, and, and when I think about our industry in particular, automation, it's going to continue. And, and, and the, the main reason being, while we're seeing what I'd say is um, very healthy growth in demand, just because we honestly feel that we're, we're, we're on the front end of what is a multi-year expansion of, of our industry, we are also heavily dependent upon the electronic components market and the semiconductor industry. That is very challenging at the moment. And there's not a lot of new capacity being brought online relative to semiconductor. So there, there is very much a shortage of availability. And that is planned to continue well into 
2023. So, so from that perspective, for me and those that are also dependent upon some form of semiconductor, this is going to go on for some time and it's going to be an ongoing challenge. While other areas that may be more mechanically dependent, they may see inflationary challenges, but the availability should not be as much of a challenge, right? You invest in the capacity, you're able to then follow through and, and support your customers accordingly. Uh, there's not as much of an availability concern. It then may shift to labor or one of the other areas that I mentioned to you a little bit earlier. Okay, thank you. That makes sense. So yeah. I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. Um, so in addition to your many professional accomplishments, you also serve on the board of directors for the Milwaukee Urban League. And I was wondering if you could talk more about your experience with the Urban League and specifically what changes you would like to see to make engineering a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive field. Understood, understood. You know, I, I joined the Urban League board at this point four years ago, um, and it, it's been something that I've always um, aspired to continue doing is, is giving back and paying it forward. And, and I think that organization, what it stands for, the whole notion and mantra of empowering communities and saving lives to me is, is, is very important and it's something that's near and dear. So I, I truly believe in the leader that we have here in the Milwaukee Urban League, uh, truly believe in, in the mission and just the continued expansion of the impact and influence that they can have in the greater Milwaukee area. Um, now, with that said, as you talk about the diversity in, in this field, in this space, um, there is a wealth of opportunity. Um, the diversity, the inclusion uh, that exists uh, in several supply chain functions um, is very, very limited. I think it's the direct result of a lack of exposure. You know, people don't see supply chain as an attractive space, an, opportun an opportunity for them to advance from a career standpoint. They're, they're looking more at finance, they're looking at marketing, they're looking at sales. And I, and I still think there's a significant opportunity to introduce people earlier, to give them better understanding of what the potential is for supply chain careers. Uh, I can tell you, I myself was not focused on supply chain coming up as an engineer. It wasn't something that I thought I'd find myself doing. Uh, but ultimately, as I got to spend more time in it, I got to understand how supply chains impact organizations, how they serve organizations, how critical they are to companies. That's when it started to become more attractive, when I started to really understand the business impact that, that the supply chain, the function in and of itself can have on an organization. And that, that to me is what we don't sell to those that are coming into either business schools or in high school or honestly, K through, K through eight at this point as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that you're raising so many really, really good points, especially um, the need for kids to be exposed to these options as career paths sooner and to really understand, you know, as you were saying, what supply chain really is about and, um, and why it matters. And I guess I'm wondering, um, I also loved how you framed it as a wealth of opportunities. I think that that's, that's generous, um, considering, you know, engineering still remains a, a pretty, white male dominated field. And I guess I'm, I'm curious to hear um, what maybe would your suggestions be to schools, universities, businesses for how they might engage um, potential engineers 
younger and actually reach a wider segment of the population who might find this as a meaningful career path later on? To answer your question, Rebecca, I, I think that organizations have done a wonderful job over the last several years of engaging in STEM activity, right? But STEM activity is focused specifically on how do I create more engineers? I think we've got to do the same from a supply chain perspective and introduce how do I get people more engaged in the supply chain? Now, if I go a step further, you know, you, you talked about this being very heavily uh, dominated by white males. The, the reality of this is, and I stand by, you've got to see it to be it. And so whether I am a female, whether I am a black male, uh, an Asian male, Latinx male, I've got to see people in these positions to know that I have an opportunity. The, the reality of this is we've got to be accountable to being intentional to make this happen. The, the being intentional about DNI is the only thing that is going to drive change so that things start to literally look different. I, I, I want to be certain that as I mentioned being intentional, well, being intentional also means there has to be some accountability and, and, and accountability that matters through metrics that matter, acknowledging it and tying it to performance and being certain that from leadership down through middle level managers, there's an understanding that things need to change. Things need to change relative to how they look for employees from an attraction perspective, how they develop employees and the culture that's being put in place to retain employees. All three of those areas are critical, which means you've got to open up your mind. You have to engage in different, uh, in, in different environments, and you just got to think differently from how you have in the past. It's not convenient, it's not easy, but there isn't any business objective, and I say business objective because DNI needs to be a business objective. There isn't any business objective that's easy. They're all hard. So I, I'm hopeful that organizations like mine continue down the path that they're on in driving more accountability and being more intentional to improve DNI from an end-to-end -end standpoint. So Rebecca, I take very seriously as a chief supply chain officer, the fact that I, I am a C-suite executive, but I am also a black, I'm part of an underrepresented group, and I know what that means. There are a lot of people that look at me and for them, I am hope, I'm, I am a chance, I am an opportunity. Um, I am a potential opportunity, excuse me, a potential for their career. They say, you know, if Ernest can get there, I can get there as well. My point to you is, as you talk about how dominated this field is at this point, the more diverse we make it, the more other younger, younger students um, will start to look, look at this field as a potential for them. And they'll say to themselves, well, I see Ernest, or I see Rebecca, or I see someone else that looks like me. That means I've got a chance to be successful in this. I can do this. That's what I want to be certain I give off. I have to own that. And I recognize that that's an, an additional responsibility that I've taken on. It's additional weight, it's additional pressure, but I definitely think it's necessary. Someone did it for me. At some point, I saw an executive and said, you know what, I can be that executive. So it was something I aspired to become. I want to be certain that I can also be an aspiration for those that look like me, that want to be successful in the same area, the same field. Um, so I just have 
one last question for you, and then I'll give you a chance to just share anything else that, um, that feels meaningful for you that we didn't cover. So last official question, as someone who has demonstrated such a clear commitment to lifelong learning, what advice do you have for our grad students or alumni or industry partners on why it's important to keep learning and staying curious? Mm. You know, what I've found for years and years, the fundamentals don't change. The business dynamics continue to evolve. And, and the only way to continue to be prepared for these significantly shifting business dynamics is, to con is just to be a lifelong learner. You're gonna have to understand, as I spoke about a little bit earlier, that toolbox, right? All of us you know, amass more and more knowledge year after year, right? We're getting better and better. We're seeing how to solve problems or we're figuring out how to solve problems ourselves. The only way to stay sharp is to be certain that periodically you, you dip your toe back into education. You dip your toe back into these fundamentals, understand how they can be applied differently with different tools in order to produce a better outcome. And so I, I firmly believe in that. So it, it can't stop. It should not stop. You have to continue learning and evolving and developing yourself, whether that's reading, whether that's having someone that is teaching you, that is, that is proctoring a session for you. But ultimately, you've got to find a way to continue learning and evolving yourself, evolving, developing your skills. That's wonderful. Yeah, I okay. totally, I totally agree. Um, and I think you, yeah, you expressed that really wonderfully. Um, yeah. So then, yeah, lastly, I just want to give you a chance to share anything that I haven't covered that you might want to say or contribute. So Rebecca, we talked a bit about QRM. We talked about lean manufacturing and just tools of optimizing what I'd say is inside the four walls. You know, as, as we work through what I'd say the last several years, there've been different challenges that have forced us to think differently about how we manage the supply chain outside of the four walls. So if I think back to a few years ago, we were all talking about the trade wars and the tariffs and protectionism. At that time, there were, we were starting to see some noise around constrained markets. It was forcing us to move away from the lean supply chain to a more agile supply chain and start to think about things a little bit differently. As we've stepped now through what I say is now the pandemic and the different challenges of the pandemic, you take those initial observations that I mentioned before of the trade war, protectionism, constrained markets, and you layer on just the havoc that the pandemic has brought forth. That's forcing us to think about resiliency. And I've said in many occasions uh, within my own organization, agility is much more an offensively minded strategy, while resiliency is much more defensively minded. That's taking us away from lean manufacturing as we know it, taking us away from uh, lean supply chain. And you now have to think, what is this balance of agility and resiliency? Those are buzzwords in supply chain, but they are very critical to understanding how we're gonna solve for the business problems of today. So we just have to continue to, to move beyond what is optimized and turn the towel dry, get every cost that we can get out of the system and think about how do we design the network to manage through potential disruptions, new changes, new policies, geopolitical challenges, and think about what this means to us from an integrated supply chain perspective. 
Okay, okay. Ernest, thank you so much. Good luck with all the chaos and all yes. the things. Yeah. Take good care. Hey, it was wonderful. It was wonderful to meet you. Honestly, it yeah, was. it was great to meet you too. I know I really enjoyed our conversation. All right, take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to ePod. For more episodes, visit interpro.wis.edu/podcast. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share.